Just a warning that this is a hard-hitting podcast which some listeners may find distressing. But we thought it an important issue to discuss and PowerScourt's been proud to support the campaign for the last 12 months. Welcome to PowerScourt Friday Fix with me, Victoria Palmer-Moore, Managing Partner at PowerScourt. I'm here with Maggie O'Kane. She's a former award-winning war correspondent with The Guardian before dedicating her time to the global media campaign to play a part in eradicating female genital mutilation globally by 2030. She wrote in the Times that part of me leaving journalism was because I stopped feeling we were having enough of an impact. Maggie, you went from covering the Bosnian War in the 1990s to setting up your organisation to break the silence around FGM, the global media campaign, which will be rebranded. We'll come on to that. Tell me how your previous career inspired you to make the move from reporting on horrific issues to actually acting on these horrific issues. Thanks very much, Victoria. I mean, I think, you know, I'm 60 and I spent 25 years as a foreign correspondent. And, you know, there's something really heartbreaking about coming across the horrors that you see in Bosnia and writing about them and making documentaries about them and thinking, are we making any difference here or in Iraq or, I, you know, I look at Ukraine now and I think, thank God I'm not there because I just feel the, the sort of sometimes a sense of utter despair. So, I mean, everybody wants to feel that they're they're making a difference. And I came across FGM because I made a film about it. This is a sort of 4,000 year old practice that just keeps going because nobody nobody said stop was so extraordinary that I just thought, actually, we can do something about this. And um, that's what brought me there. Did your time in, as a war correspondent prepare you for what you were going to see in Africa? I suppose in a way it did. The thing about being a war correspondent is that there was something that is almost inevitable about the process of war and the failure of politics. And, you know, wars happen and people do their best. The really frustrating thing about FGM was that it really didn't have to happen. It's very easy to stop. It's a couple of, you know, old ladies in the village who say, we have to cut the girls because we've always been cutting them. And then when they realise that it's not a religious requirement or that they don't have to do it, people are stopping. The thing is, nobody has really said, let's put the information out there in a local radio. People will, will hear and they will listen, which is exactly what's happening. We've been doing this for 10 years. You could end FGM in eight years. And that's, in a way, very exciting. I, You know, we can't end drug trafficking. We can't end sex trafficking. But this is something that actually can be done. Mm. So... In a way, the the despair of the war career and the sense of um, impotency has driven me into something that's so much more um, results orientated, I suppose. Explain to us how widespread the practice is and where, where is it more prevalent? Well, it's in 28 countries across the world. Uh, 4.2 million girls are at risk every year. Uh, so it is highly prevalent. It is over-exaggerated how much is happening in the West because there's an awareness now about FGM in, in the European countries. And the migrant populations who come, who flee wars like Somalia, you know, people love their kids. They don't want to do it. And when they actually get outside the community where the grandmother's saying, why isn't she cut? She's 13. She needs to be made clean. When they get away from those pressures, then there's a, a 
generally abandonment and they can say back home, no, we can't cut her because we could be arrested here. We have to concentrate in the countries where in, in Somalia, 95% of girls are cut. In Guinea, 93% of girls are cut. The numbers of kids who are dying in childbirth and women who are dying in childbirth could be halved if you stopped FGM. So these are ex- this is the kind of extraordinary opportunity to make hundreds of thousands of lives better. And is it more of a cultural or religious issue in in those countries where it's most prevalent? Is this something that religious leaders are telling locals to do? Is it cultural? There's a belief by many, many people that it's a religious requirement. But, you know, the Prophet had five daughters. None of them were cut. We work with local frontline activists. We organise these screenings with religious leaders, people who are saying it's tradition, we have to do it. And basically, when they understand what it is and they see what happens they are they are horrified because it has been protected by a veil of secrecy that nobody knows what happens it's an ancient ancient practice but when you blow the lid on that then the religious leaders will come on board so what we do then is we link up the religious leaders with frontline women activists many of them who are survivors and local journalists and we have a kind of boot camp for five days and then they get together and say okay we're on the radio and Local radio is so cheap in these countries. For $50, you can get a 10-minute slot on you know tiny local radios that can reach 10,000 people. And if you bring the religious leader on that radio and he says it's not required under uh, Islam, people are ready to stop. So we had a three-year campaign in one of the areas where it was really high, in Tana River in Kenya. The rates of FGM, the worst, went down from 89 to 5% mm. in three years mm. with a campaign that cost about £4,000. Mm. I mean, it's just unbelievable that it can be done so easily. So we in the West, again, think about the declining influence of the mainstream media. You're using local media and social media, I presume. Perhaps, first of all, just tell us the role of the media. Yeah, so so the role of the media, the most important role in local media is, is the local radio, because actually most people in the, in the villages only have local radio, so that's really important. Uh, the other thing we're doing is there's a fantastic um, rap star in Kenya called Octopiso, who's got four million followers. So basically we're secretly filming, and we have secretly filmed, preparations for the cut he's launched a social media campaign um, and is pushing it out to millions of his followers it's been picked up also by the ambassador the eu ambassador has become a, a huge convert in kenya she's tweeting it to the president's office and saying okay what's happening you know you're preparing for the christmas cutting mm. Ten thousand girls are at risk mm. so 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 the eu and others are putting sort of soft par at the top you've got Octopiso using social media and then you've got the message going out on the local radio with the local police chief saying I'm going to arrest you the local religious leader saying this is over you don't need to do this so the combination of those three things Mm. is is what we do in Kenya but we do whatever the activists tell us Mm. they need to do because they're the people who know how to end this in their countries so let's talk about the the rebranding or the, the the name change because it was global media campaign, but the name is changing to Frontline Ending FGM. Explain the, the nuance to that and why that's important. Well, naively, I thought, OK, if we can help with local radio to amplify the work of the frontline activists and, you know, spread it more, that would be a good thing to do. And then we discovered that the work of frontline activists, frontline women, many of them survivors, 
wasn't being supported. So currently less than 2% of all donor funding, millions that's going into FGM, reaches the front line women's organisations. We, we know these women, there's over a thousand activists in 10 countries. We, we support them on WhatsApp, we support them with Western Union, we get, we get money out to them every eight weeks in like... It's just, it's a constant flow of small funds to these frontline feminist organisations. So luckily, because we've been building this for, for 10 years, we know who they are. So we've built this amazing map, which is called the Frontline Feminist Directory, which identifies all of these reliable young women's organisations. And you just, you just transfer the funds to them. That's the mood within the, the development world. We need to move really into the local communities with, mm. with these women. And explain what's happening at the moment and, and what are the current objectives for the rest of this year. You're coming up to a key season, a cutting yeah. season to Christmas. Christmas is the longest school holiday. holiday in Africa. So we're coming to the really, really dangerous season now. The cutting will start, we we expect, on the 23rd because they usually wait until the government offices go on and the police go. So what we're trying to do is build up a campaign in the main countries to stop the cutting. So how you do that is you again use the radio. And we've built this whistleblower's map, which is feeding all the information of where the girls are at risk. So basically, we set a target of £120,000 to um, stop the cutting. We're focusing mainly in Kenya, Sierra Leone and Nigeria. And it's just radio campaigns. It's just like the police are coming. We've, we've got the whistleblower's map. Um, and it really does work. So we've raised 60 um, so what does that make? That's another 60. We want we want to raise before the 23rd. We need to get it in the next two weeks to get it out there. And then we believe, I genuinely, my hand on my heart, as a good ex-Guardian investigative journalist who get, tells it like it is, we could save thousands of girls. Mm. And as you said at the beginning, what's so exciting about this type of campaign is that there really is an end date. If you'd carry on with the work you're doing with the funds that you're raising, you really do expect this to end in the in those most prevalent countries by 2030. Explain yeah. how, you got, how you got that. The thing is, you can see the rates falling yes. where we've been able to campaign. It's, I'm not just saying it's just us. There are other great campaigners out there. But this is, as I say, the ultimate, the world's most solvable problem. Mm. And, and, and it should be the greatest feminist issue of our time. So last year, 5,000 girls were cut in... Um, uh, an area the size of the population of Glasgow. Imagine walking around Glasgow and seeing teenage girls with their lips cut off mm. and thinking, oh God, what happened to them? The whole place would be an uproar mm. saying, what's happened to these girls? The thing is, it's not seen, so we don't know it, but 5,000 girls in a town the size of Glasgow mm. and it's completely, it is stoppable. Fixable. Yeah, it is fixable, which is what's so exciting. Great. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. And um, I really hope that we and uh, all the people that listen can help you raise that target and uh, continue the amazing work. Thank you very much. It was really nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you.